As I was thinking about what to do this evening, um, I just reminded myself about um, clay pigeon shooting, a little clay pigeon shooting experience that I've had. Um, has anybody been clay pigeon shooting? I know I've mentioned this once or twice before, so forgive me for the repeat. Um, it was on my list of 40 things to do in my 40s. Now, I know to some of you it's a shocker that I'm past 40 because this is just a vision of athletic prowess and good health. Um, but I am actually a bit older than 40, 49, uh, coming up 49. Um, and I had clay pigeon shooting as one of the things I wanted to do in my 40s. Um, I didn't quite make it with a couple of trips, um, but then was invited by some clients in Jersey to go clay pigeon shooting. So for those of you that don't know, um, part of my work is giving good advice to leaders. Apparently, that's what I do. I get paid for it, would you believe? I get paid to chat. Brilliant. Um, so I've been doing some strategic thinking work with this leadership team in Jersey. They'd had a massive falling out, which apparently is when I get called. Um, and there was, like, there was just a lot of rows. So uh, we, had, um, we had our first meeting in a converted German watchtower that I think had been a lighthouse at one stage in Jersey. Some of you might know it. I can't remember what it's called. I should have looked it up. So you've got to imagine there, is, there were seven of us up there, um, all guys, sort of executive team, um, and one of them was yelling, like proper loud, at the other one. It was quite good fun, all, all, all good fun. That's sort of, that's my job. Don't quite know what that is. Um, anyway, we, we finished that, sorted out the issues, uh, and then they thought it'd be a good idea to give everyone a gun and go clay pigeon shooting. So, I mean, I just I don't quite know how this was going to go. There was a little, tensions were high, you know? Tensions were high. Uh, Phil, would you like to come with us? I'm like, um, <laughs> I'm not sure I want to come clay pigeon shooting with you guys. Um, but anyway, we'll go, because I, I want to do this part of my 40s. Um, so, uh, if, again, if you've been, you know how this goes. Um, there's clay pigeons. They're not actually pigeons, um, even though the, the mischief in me would prefer they were. But anyway, clay pigeons and um, little clay rabbits across the ground. So if you've been there, so they, they shoot them across the grass, as in, and you've got to shoot them, or they ping them into the air, and you've got to shoot them. Um, quite good fun, I think. So I took the gun, first, first few shots, um, bam, bam, you get two goes, bam, bam, uh, missed, missed. And then you have the rabbits, bam, bam, miss, miss. And I did it two or three times like that. And the instructor said to me, Phil, what you need is to be a bit more, I think he said, confident or assertive. I know, I do lack, I know, it's a shock, right? Yeah, for the first time in my life, Phil, you need to be a bit more confident. Um, you need to be a bit more confident. So I said, all right. He said, like, just like, attack it like it's, uh, like it's an enemy or something. So we had another go, and it's like the, the, they go, pull, up goes this clay, bam, bam, smashed it, smashed it. Rabbits, bam, bam, smashed them, smashed them. And that's just how it went. Just as the adrenaline started to pump, um, I suppose the senses got sharpened, I presume. And I was just hitting them all, uh, which was actually, I didn't really realize, because I think I was in the zone somewhere. My clients weren't so happy, because basically I was just hitting them all, and they weren't. But anyway, it's a bit by the way. Uh, love clay pigeon shooting. This is not necessarily an advert for clay pigeon shooting, but if you want to go clay pigeon shooting, go clay pigeon shooting. Um, now, it just got me thinking, would you believe, about Ephesians chapter 6, which I think is, I know, I make some very dubious links. Uh, but Ephesians chapter 6. Now, Ephesians chapter 6, um, verse 1, starts beautifully. You ready for this, Hope? Hope's my daughter, for those of you that aren't sure. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents. 
But on the basis, you also have to take the whole Bible. Verse 4 says, fathers, don't annoy your children. So anyway, that wasn't the part. Yeah, dads, I know. Um, and it leads into this wonderfully, I think, uh, just a fabulous passage about some of the uh, dreams, the ideas, uh, the hopes, and I'll say the armor that God's given us to get through this life, which we'll explore a little bit uh, for a few moments this evening. And forgive me if I say this morning, somewhere my clock's out. So this evening, um, he gives us armor to get through life. And as I was thinking about all these ideas together, I thought, you know, sometimes we have lies going through our heads, a bit like clay pigeons buzzing around, or these clay little rabbits, or paper planes, if you like. There's just this, this stuff binging around our heads about who God is and about who we are that it just isn't true. Um, and I thought it would be really good to explore how we can stand confidently against those lies and kind of maybe blast them out a bit. Like, bam, that isn't true, bam, that isn't true, bam, that's just not true, bam. So bear with me as we explore this. They buzz around. Um, so if you want to pick this up in the Bible a little bit, um, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4 onwards talks about how God has equipped us. Uh, that we have an enemy that prowls around and tries to distract us and take us off truth and a true path. And he says, actually, we can be firm in him. And there's body armor that he gives us. Dan, you've been offered some body armor, haven't you? Why have you been offered body armor? <laughs> Don't say your family. <laughs> Moldova. So Dan's planning to go to Moldova uh, later this month, or uh, middle of February, to take some coats across with a couple of guys. Um, might need body armor, I don't know. So we have body armor to protect us, says the Bible, um, and that God gives us body armor uh, to help deflect against the enemy's uh, nerf bullets. <laughs> hope it's only that. We'll see. He gives us a helmet. He gives us a utility belt. He gives us good shoes. And he gives us this thing called the sword of the spirit which I'd just like us to dwell on. Of all the armor, it's the sword that I have in mind today. I suppose the modern equivalent would be a rifle or a gun or similar. Um, the Roman army has had it, had swords. Um, what were the swords for? You can tell me. What, what were swords for? Well, I'll tell you what they weren't for. Um, spreading butter on their scones whilst having a picnic or some such. You know, it was, they were for something, weren't they? What were they for? Stabbing, <laughs> okay. Uh, maybe defending, stabbing, attacking. If they're jumped on, uh, ambushed, they're going to get the sword out and, and uh, defend. And of course, they did go on the attack as well, on the offensive as well. Um, it wasn't just a nicety or something like um, something useless. It was something very, very useful. Um, and Ephesians, like Jesus tells us in Ephesians, um, that he gives us the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The sword of the Spirit analogy is the Word of God. It's God, God's Word that gives us the tool, if you like, to defeat the enemy's lies or to defeat the lies that go buzzing around our head. We need His words. And in fact, His words alone to defeat the lies that go around. And Jesus tells us that He gives us particular words. Those of you that know your Bibles reasonably, He has the words of what? Life, eternal life. I have the words of eternal life. In fact, there's a time when people were flooding away from Jesus 
um, because he'd given some pretty weird teaching at that particular moment in time. And most people left him um, and his core group of disciples said, basically, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. Um, you hear a lot of words in life. Some of us say a lot of words. <laughs> and some of you are a little quieter. We hear a lot of words. There's only one person that gives us words of eternal life, eternal life, and it's Jesus. We need to hear a bit more of him. That's where I'm going to end this later. Not yet. Bear with. You thought for a minute, they're like, oh, it's over already. It's not. Don't worry. We've got time. But we need more of Jesus' words in our life to really blast out the lies that buzz around our heads. So I'm going to just explore two areas of lies. One is about who God is, because we can sometimes hear lies about who he is. And the second part would be who we are, because sometimes we sort of hear lies or invent some lies about who we are too. And somewhere in the middle, I hope to encourage us all to essentially pick up the sword of the Spirit, Spirit of God, His words, to sort of blast some of these lies away. Um, and if you get a bit too comfy, I don't want this to be too awkward when we get there. I'll explain it when we get there. Um, but I'll encourage the brave amongst us to maybe share some of, one, maybe one of those lies in groups of two or three and pray about it. Or if it's more comfortable to pray on your own. But we are going to sort of crescendo up to a bit of prayer. And then I'll invite the worship team back after that. So I'm going to talk some more. And I'm going to get you maybe talking or praying, depending. And then we'll worship, bless you, and then we can um, go. That, sound, that sounded very vickery, didn't it? Bless you. Bless you. Um, all right. So some of the lies about who God is. Right at the beginning of the story of our faith journey in Genesis, um, God breathes life into nothing. He makes the amazing creation. Universe is born. Um, and Adam and Eve are made from nothing. Um, and because I'm just, I'm, I have like typical Adam and Eve art in my head, uh, they were made tall, white, and naked. That's how they came out, isn't it? They probably didn't, but you know, they were, they were so naked. Um, and then uh, God said, don't eat the apple. Do you remember this? Very familiar story. I'm not going to go through it in detail. Here's a tree. Don't eat that apple. Um, why, why is it when we're told not to? Hey? And so Eve thought, that's a very nice looking apple that I'm not allowed to eat, and went across the apple uh, and heard what I think is the first lie in the Bible from the snake, hissing, a hissing snake, presumably in the tree. I don't know if it's a big snake or a little snake. Probably doesn't matter but it was a snake who essentially told the first lie. And what, well, you can tell me what was the first lie that we see in the Bible. Did God say? Did God say that you can't eat this apple? Um, because that's how snakes speak. Uh, and in fact, what the snake was saying is God doesn't know what he's doing. He's told you you can't eat that, but he doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't know. Why would he tell you that? He doesn't know what's going on. Um, and I think we can sometimes still hear the same lie. God doesn't know what he's doing. He's put me in this scenario. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's made this thing happen. He doesn't know what he's doing. I find myself in this particular place. He doesn't know what he's doing. God doesn't know what he's doing. And it's actually a lie. Because in this context, of course, if I said to you, does God know what he's doing? You're going to go, yaha. Most of you would say, yeah, he does know what he's doing, of course. Um, but in our day-to-day -day and difficult experiences, I think we can hear the little hissy snake in our ear that says he doesn't know what he's doing. Or, 
How else do, I do, how else do snakes speak? Does God know what he's doing? <laughs> okay. Uh, we, might, we might just need to extend this talk a little. He, he does know what he's doing, even if and when it doesn't feel like it. He does know what he's doing. He does know. And I think if these ideas pop up in our minds, he doesn't know what he's doing. It can be okay to explore them for a bit. I don't want us to become like so dogmatic we can't think for ourselves. Of course we should think for ourselves. But I think I do sometimes think when you say he does know what he's doing, and that doesn't necessarily change how I feel. It might not change the scenario, but I do believe and trust that he knows what he's doing. He, he knows what he's doing. Bam! That might not be how you think it through. It might not be how you pray it. But confidently, I can say God knows what he's doing. Maybe a second idea there is that um, God isn't very nice. Uh, or he's not very kind, um, or he's not very loving, generous, merciful, kind, nice, good person, because like, if he was nice, this would not have happened, surely. Uh, we think this. I'm not asking for ideas back. Most of us have experienced some struggles in life at some point. If we are fortunate enough not to, we'll know people who have. It's tricky. Why has God done that? He can't be loving. Again, I think it's okay to explore ideas a little bit, but we need to remind ourselves he is. That's who he is. He is loving, despite sometimes, and despite some of the experiences. Very bizarre to me, at least, that in the story of Jonah, um, that you might be familiar with, that Jonah's most excited moment, he has a very brief moment of excitement in the story of Jonah, because mostly he's really miserable. Like, he starts miserable, he ends miserable, and a lot of the middle is miserable. That's Jonah. Um, but he's a very excitable moment. In fact, he has a three-day excitable moment in the life of Jonah, and that's when he's in the whale. Like, I mean, that's not, to me, that's not exciting. He's praising God at the top of his lungs, I presume, in the midst of the whale. It's, it's an amazing sort of poem of thanks to God um, in the midst of disaster, drama, in the whale, which I presume isn't pleasant. I mean, I've, I've never been in a whale. Anybody been in the middle of a whale? I mean, if you have, tell me about it later. Um, sometimes in the midst of struggles and difficulties where we actually do find our sense that God is, he is actually who he says he is, which is loving and kind, but sometimes we don't. And we need to remind ourselves he is uh, still uh, loving and kind. Uh, I find that difficult. That's when, well, that's when I need the very words of God in my ears and my head. So I'm thinking, he's not very nice, is he? Hang on a minute, Jesus, help me understand. Uh, sometimes you might be tempted to think he isn't real. Um, it's just uh, like he's just an idea. Um, some of my clients um, talk about um, how the universe moves them. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe. I think it's the God of the universe, actually, who moves us. It's the Holy Spirit that moves us. And maybe we pray that they'll come to understand who he is. But it is him. He does exist. He is author of our lives. And the fourth idea I thought about is that um, Jesus isn't God's son. He was just a good guy, or maybe not a good guy, but he's just a chap. And we follow his teaching. Did you have some sort of sometimes lie-type thoughts about who God is sometimes? I'm not going to ask you what they are to me, but you might want to share them in a few moments if you have the courage to do so. I think we also, second part, is we have some lies about who we are. And there are some real classics. This isn't like the moment of amazing wisdom because we're human beings and most of us will have thoughts along these lines. I'm not very lovable. Hmm. That might be 
true in one or two scenarios, as in, in this particular moment. But we're lovable creatures, aren't we? To somebody? My mum? <laughs> no, I shouldn't make light of it. We can find ourselves feeling we're just not lovable. We're just a bit rubbish. So why would anybody love me? And actually, it's a lie, because we are lovable people. Uh, we might think that we're not wanted. And again, in a particular scenario, like on a Friday morning when I'm feeling quite excited because it's Friday, and I'm coming into the office singing, it's Friday again, Saturday, Sunday, what? I'm not wanted, that I know, right? So those sort of little scenarios is true. But in the more philosophical, deeper, who am I sense, um, like not feeling wanted is a lie. We are wanted. We're at least wanted by him. And actually, we're wanted by more than just God. People want us. I've got nothing to bring. Nothing to, nothing to offer, nothing to offer this world, nothing to offer to my family, nothing to offer to the church, nothing. I've got nothing. It can be a little sly lie uh, from the enemy. Or maybe we'll believe this sort of idea. Um, I've messed it up, so it's kind of all over. I, you know, I can't reset. We're not like a computer game. You can't press reset and start again. It's like, oh, well, I've stuffed that up. Well, well, it ain't going to get better, so that's it. It's all over. And it's not actually true. And we might have messed things up, but it's all over isn't true. There is a second, there is a third, there, in fact, there's a three millionth chance for us. Um, so these lies, uh, or it could go the other way, in fact. I've written five here, this is the fifth. Um, I am so awesome, I deserve it all. That's also a lie, isn't it? Well, it is. <laughs> um, you might be awesome, of course, but you don't deserve it all. <laughs> Um, and that can sort of get us into a pride trap. Well, I'm not lovable. I'm not wanted. I've got nothing to offer. I've messed it up, so it's the end. Or I'm so awesome, I deserve it all. These things kind of trip us up. And there are many more. I've just picked on those five. Because the enemy uh, prowls around like a roaring lion. He's, he's a hissing little snake, or a big one. Uh, and he's a roaring lion, makes a lot of noise, likes to distract and make fear rise and make us go right off track because he wants us to give up, he wants us to mess up, and he wants us to get wrapped up in stuff that's not true. That sounded quite good, actually. Just that again. He wants us to give up, he wants us to mess up, and he wants us to get wrapped up in stuff that's not true, like buzzing around things. We need to sometimes help ourselves stand firm. And, and standing firm is only in hearing Jesus' words. I have some words, you have some words, we can read some words, they're all good words. But it's Jesus' words and his words alone that act like the sword of the Spirit and give us the strength to say no. Even Jesus was tempted. He had a few lies thrown at him by Satan. It's like, you can be a superhero. That's my paraphrase. And Jesus said, no. God says, no, that's not, that's not the person I'm going to be. Um, supernatural, yes, but superhero, no. Um, if you are the son of God, well, I am. Jesus was firm in that. Um, Satan asked him to worship him. Um, well, no, says Jesus in that story of the temptations. It's almost like bam, bam, bam. And he uses the word of God to stand firm. We need more of Jesus' truth, I think. I certainly do in our hearts and minds as these lies buzz around. Just to say, no, that's not true. I am lovable. I am wanted. I do have something to offer. Yeah, I might have messed it up, but it's not all over. I'm not that awesome, but I can have some good things. Don't give up, don't mess up, don't get wrapped up. I'm gonna invite you now to respond, but where you are, and in two ways. So there's a, there's a kind of discussion way that I'll encourage for you, 
to those of you that quite don't mind talking about some stuff for eight minutes, um, in, in trios if you can, and that is maybe to share with two or three uh, one lie that you recognize. I think that's just not right in my head, that's just not right, or that you've been fighting, um, and pray about that. That's, that takes some courage, doesn't it? Takes a little bit of courage. One thing that buzzes around your mind sometimes, a bit like a paper plane or a clay pigeon, I think that's just not true. Um, just one thing, and maybe share it, and then you can pray in a tree, trio, tree, in a trio. Pray in a tree as well, if you like. Uh, the second way to respond, if you prefer, is on your own, um, like just where you are, uh, and to ask Jesus to speak to you now, and to give you his words, just where you are, his truth, in your hearts and your minds, what's he saying to you now? So we're going to pause for six minutes, because that will take us to seven o'clock. Um, feel free to chat, feel free to pause and pray, and then I'll ask the band to come back.